invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis 49, and uh, which, and I hope you're bringing your Bibles. I see many of you brought your Bibles this morning, your chronological Bibles. We are on page, we're going to start on page 69, and then we're going to get to page 70 this morning. Um, and I just kind of wanted to check in with you guys as you're turning there. How is your Bible reading going? Good. Awesome. Good. Yeah, you guys staying caught up? Uh, if you're caught up, you should be about Job 10-ish, and you're probably thinking to yourself, when is this ever going to end? At the end of January. Hang on, folks. Uh, Job just keeps going and going and going. And some of you have actually sent me emails, which is kind of fun, too, uh, about some of your reflections, but uh, frankly, some of your questions about Job. And I will be preaching on Job next weekend. But again, uh, this is an overview, as Jeff said. This is not exhaustive. This is not all the details. So if I don't uh, address your burning questions as it relates to Genesis or Job, um, let's grab a cup of coffee, uh, and I probably still won't address them all. There's a, there's a lot in Scripture. One of the major uh, themes, uh, even sub-themes, that rolls throughout Scripture, Genesis through Revelation, and we see this idea a lot, uh, especially in the book of Genesis, is this idea of blessing. We saw it early on, um, you know, right, right out of the gate where God blessed Adam and Eve, then God uh, blessed, you know, all these folks going through. God certainly blessed Abraham. And we're going to get to kind of the more and more blessings today. Um, and just to kind of define blessing, I know we use that term a lot, uh, this idea of blessing. What is a blessing? And so a blessing is to show a special favor or a blessing is a benefit, or a blessing is a mercy. And I think one of the most important things for us to understand about a blessing, or God's blessing, is that the, a blessing is something that we don't deserve. It's kind of like a gift that comes to us, and we don't deserve that blessing. Uh, and, of course, we call this grace as well sometimes, this whole idea. The book of Genesis has this word blessing shows up 88 times. So it just keeps popping up over and over and over. And since we're at the end of Genesis in Genesis 49... If you've ever been to a fireworks display, you know at the very end they have the grand finale where they're, you know, it's, it's all over the place. And that's what's going to go on here in Genesis 49. It's just blessing here, blessing there, blessings all over the place. And so it's just this spectacular outpouring of blessing that's going on. And just to bring you up to speed, we're not doing the video today uh, for uh, time purposes, um, but God blesses Abraham. Abraham blesses Isaac. He passes on the blessing to Isaac. Isaac passes on the blessing to his son, Jacob. And so today, uh, we are going to look at Jacob, uh, who, uh, whose name changed to Israel, and the blessing he has upon his 12 sons. And rather than preach a 12-point sermon this morning, I know some of you want to watch uh, football, uh, this afternoon, I thought we would just look at a couple of the different characters uh, from this blessing. We're going to read through it all, but I'm just going to kind of hit on a couple of them. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to read your word this morning, God, we, we use this word blessing over and over in our lives, and we hear this word blessing. But God, we just invite you this morning to just open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our souls 
to really embrace and to, to capture what you want to do with us as you have done with your people for thousands of years. So Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in Minnesota, at a maternity ward of all places, there are three couples that are about to have a baby. And the ladies are back in the delivery room and there's three guys sitting out in the waiting room, if you will. This is a little bit old school, I know. This is not how they do it anymore, but bear with me here. So three guys sitting in the waiting room in a maternity ward in Minnesota. The nurse comes out and says, is there a Mr. Johnson here? It's Minnesota. Mr. Johnson raises his hands his hand, and says, yes, I'm Mr. Johnson. She says, hey, good news. Your wife just gave birth to twins. And he's like, oh, that is awesome. That is so wonderful. That is so exciting. And it's kind of coincidental because I, uh, my job is I play for the Minnesota Twins. So, you know, I'm, and I play second basement, and now my wife has got twins. We've got twins. This is really, really exciting. So time passes, uh, the nurse comes out again and said, uh, hey, I'm looking for a Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson raises his hand and he says, yep, I'm Mr. Anderson. She says, really good news, really good news. Your wife has got three healthy babies. You've got triplets. And he's like, oh, that's amazing. That is so wonderful. What a blessing. And he's like, you know, and it's kind of a coincidence because I work for 3M. And then in that moment, the third guy sitting in the waiting room falls out of his chair, hits the floor. And the nurse says to him, what's, what's going on? Are you okay? And he's like, uh, I work for the 7-Up company. <laughs> Jacob, Israel has 12 children. 12 boys, actually 13 children, 12 boys and one girl. Can you imagine having 13 kids, raising 13 children in your home? What a job that must have been for them. What a responsibility it must have been. And so today, we are, there's Jacob's family tree. Uh, his father, Isaac, his grandfather, Abraham. Now, the thing with uh, Jacob, Israel, is... He's got all these kiddos uh, with four different women, two wives, two concubines. I don't recommend that. It never goes well, and it never went well throughout Scripture either. So that's the family tree, and uh, we are going to look at uh, Reuben, uh, number one, uh, child number two, Judah, and uh, we are going to look at number 11, Joseph as we think about uh, these folks uh, and, and the, the responsibility, this idea of passing on the blessings to our children. Uh, my wife and I, we have four kids, two boys, two girls, and I think about 13 kids and I'm like, how did they do that? And I know some of you have got like one kid and you're like thinking to yourself, how do we do that, right? And so whether you got one or 13, raising our kids as Jesus followers is an incredible, complicated, difficult responsibility. And what we are called to do according to scripture is to raise them up in the faith. 
And the, the Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians 6, raise the children up in the training and instruction of the Lord, which sounds so easy, right? Until we try to do that uh, with each one of our kids. So Jacob uh, is now an old man in Genesis 49. Uh, he's on his deathbed, and what he does is he says, okay, it is time. I'm getting ready to leave this earth. And, and right after this, Jacob dies, and they bury him and all that good stuff. So it's, it's, the, it's the, the last rites. It's the last moment uh, where Jacob gets to speak words to his kids. They get to hear what dad has to say to them, each one of them. So he lines them up, uh, and I was kind of thinking, if you ever saw The Sound of Music, where they're kind of lined up, shortest to tallest, and this was some of the imagery that was going on in my head, oldest to youngest. And he's going to pray, he's going to speak some words over them. Uh, not only a blessing, uh, but also he's going to just speak to them some prophetic words as well. And as if, if you've been reading along, you know that uh, thus far, uh, much of our reading has been in kind of a narrative style, a storytelling style. And what it's going to do is the genre switches uh, from storytelling or narrative into poetic uh, language here. So that's why the margins are a little bit weird there. Um, and, and when we read through this, this is, we have to understand scripture for how it was written, not how we want to read scripture. But the writers of uh, this uh, text, they want us to know that this is poetry, which means it's filled with metaphor. It's filled with images. It's filled with similes and all these different ideas uh, so that we're supposed to think and, and hear this in poetic terms. So Jacob is going to speak these words over his kids, these uh, prophetic words even, uh, not only describing their characters, but also their future generations, how their characters are going to go on long into the future. And this is what we know of as the 12 tribes of Israel. You've probably heard of the 12 tribes of Israel. And like I said, we're just going to hit on three of them this morning, Reuben, Judah, and Joseph. And what, we're gonna, what you're going to see, and again, because I don't have time uh, this morning, all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, each one of these uh, sons of Jacob, of Israel, is going to pop back up on the scene. And so hear these prophetic words as they're being spoken and, and we read about, it's going gonna, it's gonna to play out throughout the rest of the Old Testament uh, and the New Testament. Okay, so let's start with chapter 1. Then Jacob, also known as Israel, of course, called together his sons and said, Gather around me, and I will tell you what will happen to each of you in the days to come. Come and listen, you sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my strength, the child of my vigorous youth. You are first in rank and first in power. You are as unruly as a flood, and you will be first no longer. For you went to bed with my wife and defiled my marriage couch. So Reuben, being the oldest child uh, in their culture, would receive what's known as a double portion. They would get twice as much as all the rest of the kids. And uh, everybody knew this. All Jewish people knew this. And uh, what uh, Jacob Israel is saying to Reuben is right out of the gate, you have forfeited your double portion. You don't get 
what most firstborns would get because you've got bad character. And the language uh, in, the, uh, in our reading is you are as unruly as a flood, which is, you know, more of a, uh, it's, it's a looser translation. A more literal translation is you are as unstable as water. And I think that more literal translation is, is helpful for us to really understand the image, the metaphor of what Jacob is trying to communicate to his son Reuben. And if, when we think about water, water, of course, comes in uh, liquid, uh, solid, and gas. And what's the determining factor, whether it's a liquid, solid, or gas? It's the external circumstances, right? So if it's cold out, you've got ice cubes. If it's, you know, between, you know, I'll just say comfortable temperatures, it's water. But then when it gets too hot, it's steam. And so the character, the personality of Reuben is really, he kind of changes. He changes with his external circumstances, whatever is going on in his life. So if he's got a really tense, steamy situation going on in his life, that's, that's kind of how he reacts. That's who he is. That is his character. If things are normal in his life... Then he, you know, is like uh, uh, water that uh, is in a liquid form. But if things are really, you know, difficult or dicey, if you want to say, then he's kind of that solid, if you will. And so you don't want uh, someone to describe to you that your character is as unstable as water, right? I think we can all agree that's not a good characterization. Can you imagine your dad is on his deathbed, his last words to you are, you're unstable, I mean, that's kind of rough, right? I mean, that is not, uh, you know, not what you want to hear for your last uh, words from your dad is, look, he looks at you and says, you are not a person of character. So Reuben doesn't get the blessing. The blessing is withheld from him. And I think it's just a reminder for all of us that blessings don't show up. They're not automatic. There is a relationship for how we live our lives in relationship with God. All right, uh, verse 5. Simeon and Levi are two of a kind. Their weapons are instruments of violence. May I never join in their meetings. May I never be a party to their plans. For in their anger, they murdered men and they crippled oxen just for sport. A curse on their anger, for it is fierce. A curse on their wrath, for it is cruel. I will scatter them among the descendants of Jacob. I will disperse them throughout Israel. So Jacob, Israel, looks at these two boys Simeon and Levi, and he says, you know, here's your character. You're cruel, you're bitter, and you're anger, and you're angry. And really, it's his, you know, the, the, the blessing, if you will, is he says, you get to go to anger management class. Uh, I am going to scatter you uh, all over the place. Now, at this point in time, you're probably thinking to yourself, when do the blessings come? Because the first three, it's not going so well. Ah, I, you, you thought this was a, a sermon on blessings, right? Well, here we go. We're going to get to Judah, the fourth child. Um, let's see, we are in verse 8. Let's go with uh, verse 8. Judah, your brothers will praise you. 
You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants. And I love this imagery that uh, Jacob gives us, re really referring to his son Judah as a lion. And we, of course, know the lion as the king of the jungle, right? Kind of that, that beast, that animal that really has no predators other than uh, human beings, right? I mean, the, the lion rules all over all the animals uh, of the wilderness. They are the king of the jungle. And we think about lions and we think, oh, they're powerful, they're strong, they're, they have supremacy over all the other animals. And, and Jacob says, this is what your, you and your tribe are going to be like. And your brothers are actually going to praise you and they're going to bow down to you. And so now I think you're starting to hear the blessing here. This whole idea of you are going to be really important in the life of my people and your family tree. And this is just going to play out all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament. And of course, when we hear this idea of a lion, it's going to play right up to the whole idea of the Messiah. The one who will be the final king of Israel. The one who is powerful, who will sit on the throne. In fact, thousands of years later, as the disciple John is having this vision of heaven, looking into and seeing what's going on in heaven, this is what it says in Revelation 5.5. 5. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. I mean, that's powerful, right? I mean, just imagine, there's Judah hearing this blessing coming from his dad. And thousands of years later, he is going to be referred to, or his, his descendants are going to be, or a descendant is going to be referred to, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Of course, this is referring to Jesus. And we, we talk about Jesus as being the lion of Judah, the one who is on the throne and it's so powerful, uh, this idea of, of Judah being in charge, that it becomes really, uh, in many ways, synonymous with God's people. And so to kind of dig into the Hebrew uh, a, a little bit, um, the Hebrew word for Judah is Yehudi. I mean, do you hear where this is coming from or how this kind of gets translated into English? The masculine form is Yehudi. And I think it's not much of a stretch for us to go, oh, that's where they get the word Jew from. And we talk about Jews even today. I mean, this is how powerful that uh, Judah's descendants will be. That here we are in 2024, you hear the word Jew and you know exactly what group of people that is. And it goes back to this guy of Judah. And Ye Yehudia is the feminine version of Yehudi. And Yehudia, of course, when we talk about land, we oftentimes, it's, it's in the feminine. We talk about, uh, well, that's how they talked about it in, in Hebrew. This whole idea of Yehudia, Judea. I mean, do you hear how this, this, the Hebrew comes together and it gets translated into the English? And again, I think that the idea, I share, the reason why I share this with you is just because this is how powerful 
the name of Judah. He's just getting this blessing from his dad, and it's just going to magnify, and it's going to be on the hearts and minds of people for future generations. Which brings me to the next blessing. Judah is the fourth child, right, of all these uh, 12 boys and one girl. But he gets moved up in the queue. He gets moved up to the prominent place of being the offspring. And so when we get to the book of Matthew, we're going to read about the genealogy of Jesus going all the way back to Adam. And as it goes through all the names after uh, Isaac and Jacob, it's going to be Judah. It's not going to be Reuben. And so there's this blessing of offspring that your future generations, and then uh, after Judah, it goes on to several more generations, and then all of a sudden David, King David, we'll get to him in a little bit as we go through Scripture, and then more generations as the, the, the kingdoms split in half, and then, of course, leading up to Jesus. And so Judah is in the genealogical line of Jesus. I mean, do you hear the blessing here? And in the moment, he's just hearing his dad talk about a lion and his brothers. And he, I, I can about imagine he's just going, whoa, this is really big. I don't really know what it means, uh, but this is quite amazing. One other thing I just want to kind of lift up to you is even geographically. And I put a map up there for you to kind of see the different 12s, tr the 12 tribes of Judah, because they all get assigned a, a piece of land. And later on, David, remember David was in the line, the line of Judah. It was so important for him to bring the capital of Israel, God's people, that he moved the capital to Jerusalem. And it kind of, it sits on the, uh, uh, in between uh, the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. And some people say that the temple itself in Jerusalem today is partially in the tribe of uh, Benjamin and the other uh, part there in Judah. This is how important Judah was to the people and would become because God spoke through, his de uh, through, uh, Jacob, through Jacob to say, you're going to be a really important person in the life of God's people in the Israelites. I mean, what's the capital of Israel today? Jerusalem, right? I mean, it's, it's still going on thousands of years later because that blessing was spoken over Judah. I mean, I, I just get chills thinking about how powerful those spoken words, that blessing was, uh, that prophecy was on his life. Okay, verse 10. Uh, so he's continuing on with Judah. Until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. He ties his foal uh, to a grapevine, the colt of his donkey, uh, to, his, to a choice vine. He washes his clothes in wine, his robes in blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth are whiter than milk. And so through this line, already Israel, Jacob is telling Judah that through your line, someone is going to come who's going to be wearing a white robe, but the robe is going to be dipped in, in wine. I mean, do you hear the foreshadowing? Do you hear the prophecy? Do you hear the ways in which uh, Judah is speaking? This is how important you are. And by the way, and not only are you going to sit on the throne, but the future one is going to sit on the throne. The Messiah will sit on the throne and he will come riding on a donkey. All this foreshadowing pointing to Jesus and even to the point of this is how the Messiah is going to die. 
he will have his clothes soaked in red wine. Of course, this imagery, this poetry of the blood of Jesus Christ on the throne. Power, dominion, authority, uh, all on the throne. So Judah really comes to represent this whole idea of redemption. It's this planting of a seed that Judah, your name will become synonymous with redemption. The whole idea behind redemption is, 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 is kind of this idea of reconciliation. That which is broken becoming fixed. We ask ourselves, well, why? Why did God choose Judah? What did he do or how did he live his life? The first uh, three that we read about, they had bad character. What was Judah's character all about? For much of Judah's life, he wasn't what we would put in the category of a good guy. He wasn't really a good dude. I mean, he was one of the guys, remember, he sold his younger brother, Joseph, off into slavery. First, they threw him in a pit, and they said, you know, they were jealous of him. They're like, let's get rid of Joseph. And so they threw him in a pit, and they're just going to let him die. And they're like, oh, but let's make some money off him. So they sold him into slavery, and Judah was all in, you know, on getting rid of the brother. And then Joseph uh, was in slavery for many years, and then he rose through the ranks. And things got really bad in the land of Israel, in the promised land. And they're like, oh, we're hungry. We need to go down to Egypt and get some food. Oh, and they, of course, at the time didn't know that that's where Joseph was. You guys have read all this, so I'm just kind of summarizing here real, real fast. And you know the story of Joseph. Most of you went to vacation Bible school. So they get down there, and there's this, you know, exchange between uh, Joseph, you know, child number 11, and who steps forward? Who's got the guts to step forward and say, we need help? Judah. Of all the brothers, Judah was the one who came before his brother after all the wrongs they had done to his, their, their, their brother. And Joseph, of course, knew that this was their brother standing before them. And so Judah looks at Joseph. In uh, Genesis 44, it goes this way. Then Judah stepped forward and said to Joseph, please, my Lord, let your servant say just one word to you. Because in their culture, slaves did not speak to powerful people. And at this point in time, Joseph was one of the most powerful people in all of Egypt. And so what he did, Judah did, is he assumed a position of humility. He came to Joseph and said, it's the beginning of a conversation of an apology. Seeking forgiveness. Seeking to reconcile with his brother. And I think this is the key to understanding who Judah is and why he received the blessing. He was willing to humble himself before God and ask for forgiveness. Now, as Lutheran Christians, we get this idea, don't we? We understand how important it is. And it's why we begin every single worship uh, service together, confessing our sin, asking God for forgiveness. And my hope is in your own lives that you're doing this regularly at home as well. It's part of my daily prayers of God, forgive me of my sin. 
I think oftentimes we underestimate how important it is to come before God in that posture of humility and seek forgiveness. And what scripture tells us, and we see it time and time again, whenever God's people confess their sin, whenever they ask for forgiveness, God grants them forgiveness. I mean, Jeff announced it this morning in the absolution. Is that from Isaiah, Jeff? Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. Whenever God's people say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me of my sin, God says, okay, I forgive you of all your sin. He offers that absolution. So I think one of the key to understanding God's blessing and how God blesses people, both uh, in Scripture and in our lives, is just that posture of humility, the ways in which we are humble before God, seeking forgiveness. Okay, verse 13. We're going to hit a couple more here. Zebulun will settle in the seashore, by the seashore, and will be uh, a harbor for ships. His borders will extend to Sidon. Issachar is a sturdy donkey, resting between sa two saddle, uh, saddle packs. When he sees how good the countryside is and how pleasant the land, he will bend his shoulder to the load and submit himself to hard labor. Dan will govern his people like any other tribe in Israel. Dan uh, will be a snake beside the road, a poisonous viper along the path that bites the horse's hooves so that its rider is thrown off. I trust you for salvation, O Lord. Gad will be attacked by marauding bands, but he will attack them when they retreat. Asher will dine on rich foods and produce food fit for kings. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. Now again, in the interest of time, I can't go through all these, but uh, there's so much good stuff in here. Uh, so much rich stuff in terms of what uh, uh, Jacob, Israel, is blessing on these other sons. And so uh, we need uh, to get to Joseph. Um, but just as an example, um, Jim, what's the name of your dog? Asher, one of the tribes of Israel, and after worship today, you all can ask Jim uh, why their they named their dog Asher. It's, it's related to scripture, isn't it, Jim? And, and I love that. There's, there's meaning behind each of these names, and so we're going to get to uh, Joseph here. Uh, who receives the greatest of all the blessings? The greatest of all the blessings. I mean, Judah was pretty blessed. Uh, we're going to get to Joseph. Remember I talked about the fireworks show? This is, this is the, the, the grand finale of, of finale of blessings all over the place in Joseph's life. Uh, let's go to verse 22. Joseph is the foal of a wild donkey. The foal of a wild donkey at a spring. One of the wild donkeys at the ridge. Archers attacked him savagely. They shot at him and harassed him, but his bow remained taut, and his arms were strengthened by the hands of the mighty one uh, of Jacob, by the shepherd, the rock of Israel. And again, you, I know many of you just read the story of Joseph, so you know Joseph's life. Joseph had a very difficult life. I mean, it began where he tells his brother about these dreams that he's having, and immediately they become jealous. And so of these 12 boys, they're like, yeah, we don't like you. You're a bragger. Stop with the dream stuff, Joseph. I mean, his, can you imagine growing up being the one child out of 13 and all your siblings hate you? And they're like, let's get rid of him. Let's kill him. 
So they take him, they, they go out one day and they throw him into a pit, into a well. And they're just going to let him die. I mean, you think you got family troubles with your siblings? I mean, this was Joseph's family, his kids, or his brothers. And his dad and mom didn't even know about this, of course. They're like, well, let's try and make some money off of Joseph. So, of course, there's this traveling band of uh, folks going down to Egypt. And so they sell him into slavery. Now, you may have some pretty rotten siblings, but how many of you can say, yeah, my siblings sold me into slavery? That's Joseph's story. And it just keeps coming at him. And he gets down to uh, Egypt, and, and things just continue to get worse and worse. And pretty soon he finds himself in jail. You know, and, and when we think of jail, we think of, you know, what we think of here in the 21st century. That's not jail in ancient times. It was horrible. It was miserable. He was yet in another pit. And time and time again, when he had opportunity to get out, there he is. People slandered him. And then don't forget the story of Potiphar's wife, right? Falsely accused. I mean, time and time again, as you look at Joseph's life, he just ran into trouble and obstacle. So no wonder his dad, Jacob, says these words, archers attacked him savagely. I mean, that was Joseph's life. Just everywhere he turned, there were arrows coming at him. But yet it tells us that, that God held him and kept him strong. So at some point in time, after 17 years from when he's a child, when his, his, his brothers and uh, sisters sold him off into slavery, all of a sudden he's risen to the top of the food chart, I guess if you will, in Egypt. He remains faithful. David is one of the few characters in Scripture that I read who actually... He was pretty faithful. In fact, he was more than faithful. Time and time again, he walked with God and he was uh, very close to God. And he made good decisions over and over and over. David, I think in many ways, was wronged more than any other person in the Old Testament. Maybe bar Job. We're going to get to Job next week. But I think you know, Joseph's life is just kind of this picture of being wronged and yet continuing to stay faithful in the midst of it. But I think, again, the key idea, why did God choose Joseph to receive the double portion, the double blessing, this time of land? I think it's because he chose to forgive his siblings. I think it's really interesting that Judah received a blessing because he asked God for forgiveness and Joseph received a blessing because he offered forgiveness to his siblings, to others around him. Now, as it relates to the land, I just kind of again want to show you the map here. Joseph actually didn't get uh, the land himself. It was given to his kids, Ephraim and, and Manasseh. So it's kind of like grandpa giving the land to the grandkids, just skipping over the kids. And Joseph's like, I'm totally cool with that. Just give it to my kids, Ephraim and, and, and Manasseh. And as you look at the map, you can see how much land they got. They got a lot of land compared to all the other kids. I mean, that's a pretty good inheritance right there. I mean, I think we can agree that they were blessed. They received this extraordinary blessing. 
And so Joseph receives this blessing from God of just an, an abundance of land because he rose above the wrongdoings in his life. When others wronged him, when others persecuted him, when others shot arrows at him, he rose above and he forgave them. And there's this idea of when we forgive other people who have wronged us, God blesses us. So the two greatest blessings that we read about in this, uh, this narrative here, or this poem, Israel and his 12 boys, the central theme is forgiveness. Judah received the blessing because he asked for forgiveness. And Joseph received the blessing because he offered forgiveness. And I got to tell you, I can't think of a more relevant topic in the life of the church. I mean, I, I will tell you, I've been in ministry coming up on 30 years. There is no issue in the life of the church that people come to me and they tell me how they are struggling with forgiveness. None. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. This past week, I was uh, having coffee with someone and I said, hey, how's your Bible reading going? Not doing it. Oh, I know, I, I love the honesty. You guys are so honest with me, I love it. And I'm like, okay, I wasn't expecting that. Why not? What's going on? Well, I've read the Bible about three times through. I'm, I'm pretty familiar with Scripture. And I really don't like how often God forgives people in Scripture. I have trouble forgiving others. And I just, my jaw just kind of dropped. And I, I looked, at, looked at her and I'm like, well, there's an honest statement. You have trouble forgiving others. And not only do I, I love the honest statement, but she understood that God's word, God's story from beginning to end, it is all about forgiveness. God forgiving us through Jesus Christ and the command for us to forgive others. And just here we, 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 we read about this in, in, the, in the blessing. We struggle with it. Here we are. We still struggle with forgiveness today. I mean, what's wrong with you people? What's wrong with all of us? I think the answer is forgiveness is some of the most difficult work we ever have to do in our entire lives. I once heard that... Uh, a good way to understand forgiveness as it relates to Scripture is like breathing. We breathe in, and we receive God's forgiveness. We breathe out, and we forgive others. But there are some people, many people, they breathe like this. They just want to breathe in God's forgiveness, right? That's me. Anybody else? I mean, we love God's forgiveness. God, thanks for forgiving me. But what happens to your lungs? You don't even need a doctor to know this. What happens to your lungs if you just keep breathing in and you don't ever breathe out? You die, right? And this person I met with this past week to kind of lean into this metaphor a little bit more, you know, this is kind of how she wanted to breathe. 
She didn't want to breathe at all. She didn't want to breathe in and receive forgiveness from God because she did not want to breathe out. And that's an honest statement. But what happens when you just hold your breath? You die. And so I think the key for us to understanding forgiveness is breathing. That God, through Jesus Christ, has come to us and offers us this forgiveness. And then he looks at us and says, if you want to receive my blessing, you got to breathe out. You got to pour it on others. That's what it means to receive the blessing from God. And folks, I understand this is really difficult. In fact, I don't know that there is anything more difficult in the Christian journey of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And sometimes, again, I love how honest some of you guys are. Some of you will tell me your story. And you'll say, well, and, then, and, then he, and then he did this, and she said that. And they're waiting for the expression on my face and the words to come out of my mouth. Yeah, you really don't need to forgive him. That was horrible. But those words are never going to come out of my mouth. Scripture doesn't allow me to say those words. Now, I can look at some of you with compassion and say, yep, that's really horrible. That's got to be really painful. I can't even imagine how awful and horrible how you were wronged or how someone was wronged. I'm sorry that you've been wronged and that is such a painful thing in your life. Those are the words that are going to come out of my mouth. Because none of us gets off the hook when it comes to forgiveness. Because when we don't forgive we die. I mean, think about it. There's Jesus hanging on the cross. He's been tortured. He's been beaten. He's been flogged. He's been stripped of all his clothes. He's been humiliated. He's been mocked. He's been falsely accused uh, through a kangaroo court. I mean, nobody in the, in the history of humanity has been more wrong than Jesus Christ. And if it wasn't enough, they put nails in his hands and feet for all to see. And they're like, ah, he's still not dead yet. Let's put a spear in his side just to make sure he's dead. I think we can all agree. Jesus was wrong. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, the story of Jesus is wrong. It's the most horrible, heinous crime ever committed. And what did Jesus say as he hung on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, well, he was Jesus. He had God in him. True. For sure. I don't know how Jesus forgave those people who were killing him in the moment. But what I do know, one day Peter came up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, somebody wronged me. What am I supposed to do? How many times should I forgive him? Jesus, how many times? He said 70 times seven. And Peter's going, What? That doesn't make any sense. You mean I'm supposed to forgive them a lot over and over and over, even when they continue to wrong me and do bad by me? Yep, you just keep forgiving them. 
And then here's the thing I think that people oftentimes forget. Jesus went on to tell a parable. A parable about someone who forgives and someone who does not forgive. And let's just say it doesn't end well for the person who doesn't forgive. I mean, I get it, folks. This is hard. This was hard for people in Scripture to not forgive others who have wronged you. It's hard for me. It's hard for all of us. But I want to remind you, I want to go back to where we started. God's blessing, with the definition of a blessing, it's to show a special favor, a benefit, a mercy. This is what we call grace. It's giving someone else something they don't deserve. We don't forgive other people because they deserve it. We forgive other people because God has called us to. And, I, and forgiveness is a process. It, it doesn't just happen like that. It doesn't just happen overnight. It takes time. And we have to pray to God to heal us so that we can forgive other people. I don't think you and I can forgive other people, especially some of you, some of the stories you've told me about the ways in which people have wronged you. I don't think you can forgive those people, what they've done to you. So we just got to pray about it and invite God, the Holy Spirit, to come into our lives and just soften us and to lean into the process. Frankly, I think this is why we need the church. I can't do it on my own. I don't think you can do it on your own. We got to gather together and help one another to learn how to forgive. Because I think the stakes are too great. And what we learn from this story of Jacob, Israel, blessing his sons, is that if you want to receive God's blessing, you got to learn to breathe. You got to learn to breathe in God's presence, God's forgiveness, and you got to learn to breathe out on all those people who have wronged you. Let's pray. Oh God, this is one of the really, really tough stories of your word. God, we want the blessing. We want all the good stuff. We want to be Judah. We want to be Joseph. But God, in all honesty, we're more like Reuben. We're more like all the rest. Anger issues. We're somewhere in between, Lord. And so God, I pray that your Holy Spirit might just fall afresh on us. Help us to not only breathe in. And I know some people here they struggle with receiving forgiveness from you. So I don't want to gloss over that, God, for just how, not even a second. Because I know there are some people here today or watching online, they don't feel worthy of your love, of your grace, of your special favor, of your blessing. So just soften us, God. Humble us pour out your spirit of healing presence in our lives. And God, there's a whole bunch of us here today, maybe every single person here who at some level struggles with forgiving others. And deserve, you know, they got a right to be angry. They got a right to be mad. They got a right to not want to forgive. 
And yet, God, we look to your son. And we're thankful that you first forgave us. Lord, till I take my last breath on this earth, help me to forgive others. Help us to forgive others so we can breathe and grow, receive the blessing, and share your blessing with the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.